Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm your host, Celine Williams, and today I'm here with Amanda Monday, who is an author. She wrote a book called Day Nine, a mother and the founder and CEO of The Workaround, a co-working space with on-site childcare in Toronto. So Amanda, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure as always. So I, Amanda and I actually met a few years ago at a totally different co-working space, not the workaround. It was not in existence yet. So it's really exciting that you have created this phenomenal space. It's beautiful. I've been this phenomenal space the, with parents in mind and with childcare on site. I'd love to hear your journey to getting to start and to starting the workaround. Yeah, well, it's funny because that other co-working space that we worked at was part of what, uh, it's part of what got my brain turning around it because I worked in tech when, and tech startups often work out of co-working spaces for lots of reasons. And, you know, I was one of very few parents at the tech company that I worked at and quite frankly, very few parents in the building. And it was a four or five floor co-working space right downtown in Toronto, King and Bathurst. And I mean, honestly, if, if there were parents who worked there, it's like, I wouldn't have known because there were no obvious signs of the struggle that parents go through, or even just the presence of kids. And as somebody who had to do the drop off child care, race to work, try not to be work dance. I was often thinking about like, this is so much harder than it has to be. Uh, and to make it easier on me to work and be a parent of two small kids under three, like my options were and still are very limited. It's lean on family or pay, you know, for two kids, it's $50,000 per year in childcare costs. And that's on average. That's not like elite gold star or something. This is like any average daycare. It's going to be 50 grand. So it really started to be like, all right. I don't see a way to not spend this money. Uh, so what if I invest it in a different way? What if I invest in myself? What if I invest in a new way um, that builds just an option or as, as a way I still think about the workaround is a proof of concept. Like what if we prove that kids can be at work without being like at work, right? So there are not children running around the workaround. Like people often make this hilarious assumption that because the workaround has on-site daycare, that means that when you grab a seat, that there's going to be like a three-year-old running by with like an airplane or something. <laughs> like not true. Amazing. <laughs> there is a daycare on site. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really very selfishly wanted my own life to get easier. And as somebody kind of had, I guess, an innovation lens, just being surrounded by so many different entrepreneurs and founders working in co-working spaces, it sort of seemed so obvious to me that we could at least, at least try it, right? And, and just see. And it, and it turns out that there are you know, hundreds of parents in my local neighborhood who had the same needs and and desires that I did. And, and that's kind of how the workaround was born. I think that's amazing. And you're right. I, that co-working space, I had no idea who was a parent and who was like, how would you have known? Like for all I know, 80% of the people there were parents. I don't know because it was so focused on every other 
you know, cool downtown culture, which is like there was ample alcohol. There were snacks that were mostly not healthy. Um, the social hours took place between like six and eight, which is bedtime in my life. I got to get out of there. You know, meetings get picked off late. You, you, you almost never saw anyone there before 10 a.m. Like it was completely different from the life that we have to live as parents with small kids uh, where you know your schedule is just so framed around the school schedule. So, yeah, I, I just thought I, I think I even brought my kids if I remember. I think it was a holiday party, but honestly, could have been Halloween. It was a themed a celebratory event that, in my mind, I deemed as being kid friendly. So it was a lunchtime type thing in the big auditorium, and I brought my daughter, uh, who then would have been just over one, and was certainly the only kid. And and sort of, I remember us both being looked at like we were aliens in this space, right? And yeah, I often thought like we should really be normalizing kids that work because it would make it a lot easier for me to do my job. A hundred percent. And I would hedge a bet that it would make it a lot easier for a lot of mothers specifically more so than fathers to do their job. Right. Because I think that fathers are granted a different kind of, well, the, you know, you work that sort of old idea of you're the primary breadwinner you go off and work and you make the money and the mother will sort out what the childcare looks like. Yeah. And you know, it's not speculation, right? And this is, this is a widespread now well-documented fact in Canada, right? We learned, we've learned in March that March of this year, 2020, during the lockdown, a million Canadian women lost their jobs because of all the small business closures. Well, why is that? That's because women predominantly work in industries that were hit the worst, service, retail, and food. Why do women work in those sectors? Because they're more flexible, because they're lower paying, often flexible part-time options. Why are women in those roles? Because they're taking the brunt of the caregiving duties. Why did they not regain those jobs? Because we don't have childcare right now, because we're in a lockdown, because schools have been closed, because childcare is really, people are very concerned about COVID rates and infection rates. And so who's returning to those jobs, right? And, you know, one of the things around remote work that is causing me so much kind of bubbling physical, both rage and anxiety is when people talk about this, like, see, she's, I can't even say it, she's sessions, she recession, just call it a recession. Like we don't need to cutify what's happening because it's predominantly hitting women. It's not a she session. We have an economic recession where we have lost millions of jobs predominantly by marginalized genders. And we have a real problem here. And if you, if you sort of reconcile that against the tech industry and, and the places that serve co-working, we see a lot of this like remote work is the new thing and everybody's sticking to remote. We're not going back to offices. And actually my business wasn't impacted at all by COVID. Like that narrative is being led by the status quo that is not acknowledging who has been very severely harmed by this pandemic and what our assumptions are of who is going to take over in the workforce and uh, or what the future looks like for, for new generations. I just, you know, 
get super angry and ragey about it because it's not a cute little, oh, isn't that interesting? It's a very serious crisis. Absolutely. And the fact that the there is an option at the workaround where if a woman is in a position, and I'm picking on women specifically for obvious reasons, but by no means is it only women, but if they're in a position to go back to work, to restart their business, to something, there is also an option built in that childcare can be part of that. And that is, you know, the people that I talk to, whether it's clients or friends, the biggest complaint consistently is it's impossible to work with kids at home. So even if they're running their own business, even if they've been given the option of remote work, how do you do that when you have two kids at home that you're responsible for homeschooling and daycaring and feeding and whatevering? It's impossible. It's impossible. And the expectation is that we can somehow make it work. Like online learning in that way, especially when you're talking about kids under six, seven, it's impossible. I like to put a child in front of a laptop where they're supposed to navigate. Like my daughter was expected last year, she was in senior kindergarten. She's five. She was expected to get on a laptop with a browser, which already is language she doesn't understand. Navigate multiple tabs with like a YouTube tab and a Google classroom and then a PDF download. Like I know it sounds simplistic, but that's beyond what her learning environment is, right? And this multi-tab, like download the, the PDF of the activity sheet and then watch the instructions on YouTube and then enter it into Google Classroom with your answer. Like she is not sitting independently and doing that work. She's saying, where's the, what's a tab and what's, what's a PDF and where is it? And I don't know, I clicked on it and it disappeared. And like, so yes, even if there are other people in my household and right now there's not, but even if I had a partner there, like she's defaulting to me for help with those things. And it's, it's truly impossible, you know, from my business perspective, both it's very bittersweet because I have been joking that in the last eight months, you know, prior to COVID, I was explaining to people what the workaround is and why people would need it. And here's this thing, I'm doing this innovative thing where you can focus on work and your kids are taken care of. And the gift of, of the pandemic for me personally is that I'll never again have to explain why the workaround is needed. And I'll never again have to explain why <laughs> working from home with kids doesn't work. But I am still explaining who we are expecting to use the workaround even. It is still predominantly mothers who are reaching out to work here. We do have dads here and it's amazing. And we have parents who are sharing a desk and we have uh, marginalized genders and we have lots of different types of families who work here. And I see a lot of women come through these doors saying they are, you know, they're the ones who have tried to take on something more flexible so that their partner in their hetero marriage can focus on his full-time higher paying job. Like we still have systemic barriers around all of this. Yeah. And, and it is, I totally, I can 100% appreciate the bittersweetness of what you're talking about, where people who are not women with children now understand it because they will have seen it more. And I think before pre-pandemic, pre-COVID days, it almost became this invisible, it was like, an. I mean, and I want to say this, by no means do I think that mothers and women with children and marginalized people, genders, you know, with children are invisible. 
but it almost becomes an, or it almost was, pardon me, an invisible problem that if you were not part of that group, it just, you didn't have to acknowledge it or deal with it or think about it. And with everyone being sent home to work or um, losing jobs, that's a real discussion now. That's a real acknowledgement. It's much more widely visible, if that makes sense. I don't, I, I think we really, uh, it, you know, we have to really consider childcare as an economic imperative. And to me, I mean, I hear, I hear the message of, you know, you know, I'm not a parent. I don't understand, but we need, we need non-parents. Like as far as I'm concerned, this is a coalition, it's coalition building time, right? It's time to build up the crew that we need to scream at everybody we can. And it's not just government, it's also businesses and employers of like, we need to better support childcare. If we have any hope of digging out of the harm of the, of the pandemic, like this is, you're right. It has brought it to a head where this is not a nice to have. This is an absolute critical essential to get people to work full stop. You don't have people at work. Businesses closed. Businesses closed. What happens? Like this is a very clear line to me and we need as many people as possible to hear that message. I cannot agree more. One of the things that I have seen happening, um, a lot of the conversations that I've had with clients or leaders in, in businesses that I work with and, or, and some are quite large organizations is the realization that we need to be asking people, the people that report to us, the people on our teams, what their situation is and how they can be helped. And the larger organizations that I've been working with are very intentional about that because it wasn't something they'd even been thinking of before. Yeah. Like it's so, it's funny because so many people have said the workaround is so innovative. It's so, it's so interesting. Why didn't I think of that before? And I just come back to like, it seems so obvious to have kids at work because so many of us are surrounded by kids. Well, of course, well, of course, but it's not, we don't have the systems in place to support parents at work and we need to. It shouldn't be that innovative for me to have created a co-working space with childcare. And yet here we are. And <laughs> it, it is, I mean, like truthfully, Toronto is a big city. How many co-working spaces in Toronto offer childcare? I'm the only one that is in a facility. So there are other ones out of homes. There are some people who out of their home have said that they will, you know, that they can do uh, some shared workspace with, a playroom for children, but I am the only one in Toronto who has built an office facility, 13,000 square foot office facility with a full classroom on site. Just thinking about that is astonishing because we are not a small city. The number of parents, the, it's just astonishing to me that, and I say this, I think it's amazing that you were thinking and this way and that you did create something that's so innovative. And it's astonishing to me that considering parents, working parents and their needs and the needs of those children is innovative in this day and age. Well, I think that's, you know, your question and your, your sort of shock with it is exactly what I want everyone, your listeners and their families to dig deep on, right? Dig deep on why it's so surprising that we haven't created systems to get parents to work with their kids? What, what has been the thing we've been doing instead? What are the assumptions that we've made 
about how these children will be cared for. Who is leaving the workforce, stepping out, reducing, taking less money, not getting the promotion, not doing the work travel, leaning on help? Who are making those choices and how have you personally benefited from the people who have stepped out to raise kids? And what did we think was going to happen? Right? Like, this is, <laughs> this is the thing, right? Like, I mean, and then the barriers are to me very obvious. And I think for many, not like you said, many employers never even considered it. I'll give you a, a tech sort of founder based example. When you think of these accelerator programs, so I have a business that luckily, thankfully, not now in the pandemic, but before the pandemic was profitable, not by a lot, but given that it's a brick and mortar space, we were at least making more money than we were spending. And that to me was like the success of all successes we could hit. So I'm getting reached out to by many, many, many different accelerators and incubators. Gotta love these words. In particular, I love incubator because like, hello, uterus is an incubator, but anyway, Mm -hmm. incubator incubator accelerator you got to join this you got to join this we got to scale up we got to scale up and every time these accelerator programs and incubator programs they're six to eight weeks long three months long in a city not toronto waterloo alberta bc they require travel money daytime hours full commitments in order to quote scale my company well of course when you look at who who was in those accelerator programs and then people are screaming, there's a lack of diversity. And there is, there's absolutely a lack of representation on black entrepreneurs, black women in particular. Why are these accelerator programs predominantly filled by white cis men? Because they're not taking care of the children. Like I just can't, to me, it is like connect A to B here. The reason that we don't see more women in marginalized genders and racialized communities in these accelerator programs, getting this funding, accessing these amazing mentors who are quote, scaling these businesses up is because we can't possibly go. We can't even get to the table because we are at home with the kids that we have no other option. And it makes it because if men are making more money and women predominantly make less, then of course you're going to stay home. And like, it is, it's just, it's so, I could just scream about it forever because um, there's so many conversations about pay equity and gaps and how do we get more women in tech and we need training and mentorship and accelerators. And it's like, forgive me, but all of that. It's not the answer. Childcare is the answer. You can't go anywhere near systems training if they can't get to the training because they don't have childcare. Yep. I could not agree. I mean, I could not agree more. And I love your passion. And I love how you've said that. You know, I'm going to quote a book and I have nothing against this person personally. Um, but I remember when Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In came mm-hmm. out. And did you? <laughs> of course. Right. Of course. I got to lean in. Right. It was not that message. It was like, it was lean into how things are already being. I mean, I'm doing a, that's a very terrible summary, but it wasn't addressing the real problem. I saw a tweet recently, actually, I thought was so brilliant. Uh, Forgive me. I don't remember who sent it, but I saw this sort of hilarious tweet of like, can you believe that 
women bought into the idea that we need to lean in and take on more. And I laughed out loud, right? Because I thought exactly like that whole message of that book. And I, and Cheryl Sandberg has admittedly, I, I read plan B where she sort of went back through and acknowledged her privilege and appreciate it. I don't think she went far enough, but she did go back and sort of say like, yeah, I didn't really see that by saying I had a partner at home that was doing the primary caregiving duties that that meant I was able to go and play golf and get a seat at the table. It was like, well, yeah, obviously. Like the thing is we can't like to put that level of pressure on women entrepreneurs on, you know, people who are younger in their career and say, really what you need to do is, is be more present, ask the questions, raise your hand, get to the table. It's like, do you have any idea how many things I'm jumping over in order to get anyone in the room, let alone at the table? Like it's, um, and I think some of the things that are frustrating to me as an entrepreneur, because I very much am in this, like, what can be solved today? Let's just do that mindset. I'm thankful not to work in government where there is a ton of bureaucracy that slows things down. Like I can move. And so what I see with childcare is that there are some really good quick wins and easy ways to immediately make the problem easier. And that's not like, let's get employers to start funding childcare because that's, that's a lot to ask. But what we can do is say, you know, maybe we don't have a team stand up retros at four 30 on a Friday. Like maybe that's, maybe that's not the right time to put that, that weekly roundup that's so critical to the success of this project right when parents need to be en route uh, to daycare pickup when daycare mm-hmm. is charged $5 a minute for late pickup, right? Like parents can't make that meeting. Let's put it at two o'clock. Let's not even ask everybody what time works best because then we put the labor back on the parents in order to ask for accommodation. And that's where the stress comes in. Let's as employers think about what barriers have we just assumed weren't barriers and are in fact creating it, making it a lot harder for parents to do their jobs and probably doesn't actually cost that much money to make better. Mm. That's a real easy way to build up both loyalty, retention, productivity. If that's the focus of the company, like think about the container in which your employees are participating with work, even if they're working remotely, are the kids at home? If they're going to school, how are they getting to school? If your meeting starts at nine and school drop-off is 8.50, imagine the level of anxiety and stress on that parent that's trying to get their kid to school for 8.50 and then race back home for that 9 a.m. check-in that we all assume is fine because nobody has a commute in the morning, so we should all be fine for the 9 a.m. call, right? We can make things easier tomorrow. And that unlocks more brain space for tackling some of the more systemic barriers that also need to be addressed. But what's, what's frustrating to me is we haven't done even the bare minimum yet. I agree. Uh, I seriously hope that um, as a result of, I mean, I hate saying as a result of a pandemic, but you know, maybe one of the outcomes of this pandemic that is positive is that people start to think about these things in a more proactive way. We start to be more inclusive of, to, you know, to what you're saying. We're, 
a lot of companies just kind of go ahead with this is what we're doing and they do put the onus back on the parents or anyone, people of color, whatever the case may be to speak up and say, no, that doesn't work for me, as opposed to thinking what would be the most inclusive way we could do this from the beginning? Uh, what do we, what can we do? What can, what can we find out about our team and what works best for them in order to further our business objectives? Like you can still have a very profit driven business mindset and make childcare a priority. You really can. And in fact, I think they work hand in hand, right? That when we, what I saw, what I have seen over and over and over again at the workaround is when parents show up on, on their timeline, right? So they pick the hours they want, the time of days that they want, and they, they make a plan to bring their children here. They drop them off, they grab a coffee, they sit down to work. They're more productive, more focused, more efficient in four hours here than they would be in a full day at work. Why? Because they've eliminated so much of that friction around the way work happens that they just focus. All right. What is it? What are the three top things that have to get done today? I've got this set amount of time that is uninterrupted. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be better quality work because I wasn't interrupted, because I wasn't task switching, because I wasn't racing off for pickup. I did the work that I wanted to do. And guess what? The outcomes were better. I landed the sale. I hired the employee. I you know, shipped the feature. Like Whatever it is that you're expecting of your employees, uh, I promise you, if you, if you eliminate some of that friction, you will see a better output. Uh, I've seen it proven. I've watched, you know, part-time parents who were doing, as we said, sort of that flexible part-time work in order to make some money and try to do it, go to running agencies with employees. And they moved from one hot desk to an office of six people here. And they did it in under two years. So we haven't even been open for two years, six months of which we were closed by a pandemic. And I've watched these companies grow because they had more brain space to do the work they wanted to do. And childcare is accessible and childcare is flexible. And, and in a lot of cases, still taken on as a financial burden for that family, but in a way that works for them a lot better than you know, $50,000 a year. Um, and, and in sort of the constraints that that businesses put on families, it's just really, really hard. It's really hard to do anything productively with these types of constraints. And I agree with you. That's where, you know, the pandemic has been a bit of a gift for tearing everything down. So we can use it as an opportunity to rebuild the things that we want and leave the rest. You know, one of the things that you said in there was that, and I very much agree with it, and I want to pick up on it really quickly, is this idea that you can be profit-driven, you can be a profit, maybe not profit-driven, that might not be the you can be a profitable business while still caring about these sorts of things. And I love that you said that because I, you know, I tell people all the time that the businesses and the companies that I work with are people first. They're people first organizations, and they're all profitable. They all are growing and they are all, even in the, you know, even with slowdowns in the pandemic for some, you know, some smaller, some larger slowdowns, they're still growing. And by taking care of their people first, they have, you know, more innovative solutions to coming out of this pandemic. 
people are more committed. They're more engaged. It's a whole different ballgame when you actually think about the people in your organization, the people you work with if you're running a business, the people you're going to hire if you're just starting hiring. When you actually start from, let's think about the people first, everything else can fall in line. Yes. And I, you know, one of the dominant conversations lately around employers and, and retention has been, you know, the Canadian emergency response benefits serve. Oh, serve is discouraging people from working. Oh, serve, you know, it, it's encouraging people to stay home. Bad bosses are what are encouraging people to stay home. Crappy workplaces is what is encouraging people to stay home. Serve is not like, let's be real, especially in Toronto, like cost of living is high. $2,000 is not a windfall. It's a lot of money. It's not a windfall when rent on average can cost $2,500 a month when daycare is $2,400 a month per kid, CERB is not a windfall. We need to then say, all right, what's happening at these workplaces that people would rather stay home, take on the childcare burden themselves, try part-time work, whatever it is, and collect CERB because returning to work with all of its friction and low pay and terrible bosses the home option is more attractive, right? We have to look at the business itself for that and say, maybe it's the business they don't want to go back to. It's not serve keeping them home. Yes, that exactly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, they're not. Trust me. Like I, I, of course I worried about that. I have employees. I lost all, I had to lay off all nine employees in March, right? Because when the pandemic hit and uh, daycares were ordered closed. And so we were one of the first down March 13th, you know, doors closed. I'm on my kitchen floor crying that bankruptcy is looming and, you know, and just devastated that I had to lay off all nine of my staff. And as we, as we started to talk about reopening, as I started to discuss what rebuilding might look like, I had a conversation with all of my staff about coming back. And it's a big ask. We own a daycare. It's high risk. Yeah. This is a lot to ask childcare workers to return. A hundred percent of my educator team came back. My front desk staff came back. One of my front desk part-time staff didn't come back because she moved to Nova Scotia, which like, good on you. That's where our family is. So no judgment. She left us and we love you, Renee, and come back soon. But like, other than, <laughs> other than the Nova <laughs> Other than the one who fled to Nova Scotia, but my staff came back, right? And they came back, I believe, because, you know, we're trying to build something here. And I'm honored that they believe in the mission and they care about the families who come here and they care about their workplace and they want to see it rebuilt. And so, yeah, even though it was risky, even though we weren't sure how long we'd be open or how many hours we'd be open or what it would involve and the COVID training and the cleaning and there's so much bleach. They still came back to work, right? They came back and we're doing it and it's hard and we've cried here and we've had days where we've said like, this is too much and I hate the face shield and it fogs up my face. I'm like, it's a thing, but we are in it because we are doing good work and we care about our people. And, you know, when my employer, when my employees are sick, they're paid. Uh, one of them got the notification on her phone that from the, the COVID app that she had been exposed. It was like, go, leave immediately. Go and get the test. We will pay you. You're off paid 
the entire time until you're back. Negative, positive, I don't care, go, right? Like these are small things. Of course, it costs me money to do that. But to me, it was a no brainer. Like we have to take care of our staff and we have to make sure they're safe. And um, I'm rewarded with staff who, you know, had no question about returning to work. Yeah. I mean, it says a lot about you as a leader, Amanda, and you as a business owner, but as well as the, the business that you've built and the mission and vision and values that you espouse and live into. And I think that's phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I, you know, it's not that hard. I just think we, we sometimes, we believe that the barriers that are in place are insurmountable, that, you know, we have a fiduciary duty to our invest that to our investors we have responsibilities we're limited by our industry regulations like i mean maybe but there's a lot you can do within the parameters of of your sector and within your work and and like you said it's it just starts with putting people first uh removing barriers and really just just noticing what it is that your employees need and then doing your best to get that for them even though it's hard, even though it's not perfect. You know, I would love to pay my employees more. I can't. There's only so much we can do right now. We're running at 20% of the revenue we were making before the COVID. So you got to be honest about that. This is where we're at right now. But we're going to do everything we can. And we're going to take advantage of the subsidies that we can. We're going to access what we can. And we're going to keep going. Because if we close, then everybody's out of work. And that's not better. Absolutely. And transparency, right? It's, it's, it, you're really exemplifying transparency at its best, right? Not, not transparency in the sense of what some people do and what some owners do, which is oversharing for sympathy or for an out or to, you know, have an excuse not to do something, but really being transparent. So everyone has the best information to make the decisions that work for them. Yeah. And then you'll be rewarded. You're rewarded with staff who work hard for you. And that's what the whole point is. Like it actually in turn is more affordable and more productive. Uh, and it's the same with parents at work. Like the parents at work are incredibly efficient because we have to be, we just have to get some of the barriers out of the way. I love that you said that. So one of the things that I very distinctly remember talking to you about uh, when we first met at that co-working space um, was speaking about that was as a parent, how when you were at work and when you were doing what you were doing, you had to be more focused and efficient because you knew you weren't going home and jumping back into work or catching up or anything like that, that it was really, this was your time. And I have such a distinct memory of that conversation because how you framed it, I don't think I'd ever heard it framed that way before. Yeah, I, I really... I, I really take any opportunity I can to smash the myth that uh, hiring employees is a, is a professional or hiring uh, parents is a professional risk or that parents are distracted or God forbid, you know, the bias that not to hire young women because they're baby making ages. Like, please trust me that if you watch a parent of young children in particular who's sleep deprived, who knows that they've got exactly to the minute seven, seven and a half hours to get their work done. And when they go home, they're going to make meals and do bath bedtime. Maybe they'll even get back online at night, but probably not because they know they've got exactly a set number of hours that they can sleep 
before they have to get up and do it again. Like you build a level of both resiliency and efficiency that is completely survival related. Uh, we have to, right? And it does produce really great work. And I think that's where resentment builds, right? I've felt this in, with lots of employers before is that, you know, I return from that leave. I have two kids. So I've done this twice where two different experiences with different employers of, of, you know, going on leave and then coming back and coming back to this sort of like, I forget, you know, oh, let's, let's sort of ramp you back in for the next six months or, oh, we're going to do you a favor and not book you for any travel or we're not going to put you on a big hard client. We're going to get you working on this softer project that's not as intense and it's somehow framed as doing me a favor because I have kids. It's such a punch. It's such a gut punch because I'm capable of so much. My my economic potential, my personal potential is so great because there's so little time to waste. Um, and when faced with, with the barriers and discrimination, you know, as, as a woman and, and I have white privilege on top of it, like imagine as a black entrepreneur, a black employee, it is very, very, very hard to stay motivated to do good work when you're faced with the assumption that because you have kids, you will be less productive or you are more distracted or you are going to somehow leave. When in fact, believe me, we're happy to be, <laughs> we're happy to be at work. Thank you. <laughs> Busy at home. Like, I'm so happy to get to the work ground every day. <laughs> so happy to like, deal with payroll because I'm so tired of picking up Lego. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's real adult connecting time, right? Whether you're going into a co-working yes. space or you're going into a company, you get to, this is adult conversation. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. I'm so happy to be there. Like, don't tell me that you, you know, are trying to do me a favor by giving me less work because like all I want is work, right? Like it's what I, it's what I want. I want to do that. I want to do well. I want to grow my career. I want to, you know, pick back up where I left off. Uh, I don't want to be treated with kids gloves unintended. You know, I, yeah, I do yeah. want, I want all of it. And that's, it's part of why I eventually quit my job is that because, you know, it was just friction after friction on top of the burn of, of spending all of this money on childcare. And it's just like, it just really felt like if we could prove if you can prove that kids can exist in a workplace and parents can be productive, then we can unlock the potential for so many more ideas. Like the workaround doesn't have to be be all end all for, for kids that work innovation. In fact, I, I don't have the capacity to take that on. I want more innovations and more ideas and, and competitors because it means that we are reducing the burden on working parents and marginalized genders. And that was the whole point. And I say this with a ton of love. I hope that you get a ton of competitors. I hope that <laughs> lots of places open up because there is such a demand for this. I also hope it means you get to scale and expand, but you know, truthfully, I, I say that with love and not in a, in a way to take away anything from the workaround, but that would be such an example of things actually changing. Yeah. Oh, I I think it's great. We can do it. Like this is scarcity versus abundant mindset. Like it's and, right? And, and competitors will open and the workaround will succeed and we will open more locations and 
I will continue to grow as a business owner and continue to build out my team's capacity. And I will see other co-working spaces with childcare open like, and because, and means we're getting more parents back to work. We are resolving our economic challenges. We are creating space to tackle the systemic barriers that have kept so few from really realizing their, their professional potential because of all of this. And we can tackle it when we knock down some of these things that are solvable. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to be mindful of getting to the end of our time, but I do want to ask if you were to give advice to any entrepreneurs out there, any parents out there um, who are thinking of starting a business or, or stepping into, I want to ask 18 different questions is what this question is revealing as I try and phrase it. I want to ask you 18 different questions, but I'm going to try and put it in one. So here we go. Let me try this again. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs out there, especially if they're parents, whether it's based on your experience as an entrepreneur or running the workaround where you get to see so many entrepreneurs and entrepreneur parents? You know, I sort of have, I have two answers that in some ways are in conflict, but I'll give you both. Uh, I love the it. First, the, the first is that uh, I think we've, we've, I've heard the the rhetoric and the narrative that, you know, with, with the pandemic, a lot is on hold, right? And so we can use the pandemic, the pandemic can be a very convenient excuse not to move forward, right? We can say, I can't get that promotion. I'm not going to shake the waters with my employer. I'm not going to quit my job and start a company because there's too much unknown. There's too much uncertainty. Pandemic, pandemic, lockdown, lockdown, no. And I would say, like, trust me when I tell you the cis white bros status quo are not saying no, they're going and they're pushing still. So keep pushing and do it and start the company and know that there are more supports than ever for, in particular, marginalized genders and women in the workforce. There are, there's funding. We have heard from the throne speech in Canada that there's new diversity and intersectional task forces, whatever the hell that means. But like somebody's talking about this and that's what's important is that if you have an idea and you, you know that you can start to generate some income from it, do it, do it and figure it out because there are supports in place that will help you. And, and it's important. And then my conflicting answer is like, have some grace for what is possible during a goddamn pandemic, right? <laughs> like, we are all very tired. I'm exhausted. I have every intention to build multiple locations for the work around. I have every intention to grow this company. And I'm very aware that I am currently a single parent to two children who are at school during a pandemic with a 13,000 square foot space with the least personally secured against my house. Like all of that is true at the same time. So there's only so much that I can do today. And part of what I know I can do today is to rest and recover and uh, take care of, of my own mental health uh, and stay in a positive mindset as much as I can so that I am ready to really kill it when I have the capacity to do so. What I am not doing is saying, oh, the world is sending me a signal that this is a bad idea or, oh, you know, it's, it's really hard right now and I'm scared about the future of the company so I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't put any more into it. Like, no. I'm doubling down on my efforts and my resolve because I know more than ever that companies built by a diverse workforce, by diverse entrepreneurs 
are the way that we are going to not rebuild what existed before. And so if you can figure out how to reconcile both having grace and keeping it within what you're capable of doing and pushing and quitting your job, like that's my advice to you. <laughs> you know, you say those are in conflict, but truly I think those that's a, that's a both and situation. They're not actually in conflict. Both of the thing, both of those things can coexist. You know, we can give ourselves grace and take space for our mental health while still moving forward in some way and chasing a dream. And so I think that is, I think that is, yeah, absolutely. We can do it. We can do it. We can build the companies we want. There's an appetite for it like never before. There's an appetite for different. I mean, there's, I don't think we ever thought that, especially in Ontario, that the healthcare system that I could call up my doctor in the same day, get a virtual video appointment for the pink eye prescription I need for my kid and exchange an eight hour, like drop in walking clinic appointment for like 15 minute zoom call. Like, I don't think I saw that coming anytime soon, but look at, here we are. We have an appetite for change right now. We have an appetite for new, we have an appetite for failure in a different way. Uh, and honestly, if things fail, blame the pandemic. <laughs> it wasn't your fault. <laughs> We're like, ah, COVID, COVID screwed me, not me. It was a great idea. It was COVID. So like, just try, do what you can, uh, lean on people where you can and, and know that like, you know, we don't really know when we're going to get out of this, but I think even if it stays awful for a number of years, we can work within what we have to make it better for those who are here and need it to be better. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you, Amanda, for taking the time to chat with us. Um, The link to your website will be in the show notes for this episode, but um, I want to tell our listeners to go check out obviously www.theworkaround.ca. You can learn more about Amanda's co-working space there and what she's up to. And uh, go check it out. If you're in the East End of Toronto or in the area, Go. it's a, an absolutely incredible space. Thank you so much. And have a great week. Thank you. You too.